Good morning. Good to see some of you and to uh, trust that some of you are where you are and still listening in. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do pray that this morning as we turn our attention to your word, as we seek to understand it and to live in the light of it, that you might grant to each of us your Holy Spirit, that the words that you have caused to be written for us might be written in us and that we might live as the people you call us to be in the light of Jesus' coming. And all of this we ask in his name. Amen. On the 18th of June, 1912, just two months after the Titanic sank to the bottom of the northern Atlantic Ocean, a team of boys employed to excavate a site near St Paul's Cathedral in London on the corner of Cheapside and Friday Street uncovered a large wooden casket full of jewels. More than 400 pieces of Elizabethan and Jacobean jewellery had been buried under the cellar of a building that had been built on that site just after the Great Fire of London in 1666. Now, the story of the find is fascinating. The young workmen sold what they scavenged for the site to an, uh, an antique dealer and pawn shop owner, Stony Jack. Stony Jack turned out to be acting for the new London Museum, and the whole collection went on display in 1914 and wouldn't be brought together again in one place until 2013, almost a century later. Now, could you imagine the excitement of those working-class boys struggling to survive and to contribute to the survival of their families? Could you imagine their excitement when they first laid eyes on what would become known as the Cheapside Hoard, an ivory cameo of Elizabeth I, diamonds from India, rubies from Sri Lanka, emeralds from Colombia. Here was wealth beyond anything they could have imagined. Just one piece would sell for more money than they'd ever seen in their lives that they hadn't gone out that morning expecting to find treasure, but that's just what happened, and it was amazing beyond belief. Accidentally stumbling upon treasure. It does happen. And it did happen more often in ancient times when burying your wealth was the one sure way to protect it. After all, there were no banks and safe houses and investment brokers then. So you found a safe place and you hid your valuables and if you didn't live to retrieve the treasure you'd buried, it might be stumbled upon by someone else. As we approach the end of Matthew 13 and the last three of the parables of the kingdom collected for us in this chapter, this is one of three somewhat ordinary scenes that Jesus uses to teach his disciples something extraordinary. Just before the parable we begin with this morning, Jesus had explained the parable of the wheat and the weeds. He'd spoken of a judgment to come, terrifying in character, but the necessary counterpart of salvation. All causes of stumbling and those who practice lawlessness will be cast into the furnace of fire where there is weeping and grinding of teeth. But in the starkest of contrast, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. A great and terrifying judgment, and in the midst of it, 
a great and glorious vindication. And then Jesus continues, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which when a man found it, he hid it, and out of his joy he went and sold everything he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a businessman who sought fine pearls and finding a pearl of exceptional value, went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet which was thrown into the sea, gathered creatures of all kinds, and when it was full, was dragged to the shore, and sitting down they gathered the good into containers, but the rotten they threw away. So it will be at the completion of the age. The angels will come and separate out the evil from in the midst of the righteous, and they will cast them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and grinding of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. They said to him, yes. So he said to them, because of this, every scholar who has learnt the kingdom of heaven is like the master of the house who brings out of his treasury both new things and old. Three simple, really quite ordinary scenes in these parables, but in each of them is a surprise, and each of them points to good things, new and old, that those who have learned the kingdom have to share with the world. The basics of a surprise discovery in a field, the search for a flawless jewel, the sorting of fish after a catch, told alongside each other, as a vehicle for understanding the kingdom of heaven. Tales of an outrageous joy that makes sense of somewhat puzzling behaviour and of a discrimination in judgment which, I hope you'll see, fuels that joy. So first, the hidden treasure in verse 44. In Jesus' story, what happened that day appears to have been a surprise. Uh, there's no indication uh, that the man who discovered the treasure in the field had been looking for it. He wasn't walking around with the ancient equivalent of a metal detector, you know, hoping to locate something interesting. And yet that's exactly what happened. He found something interesting. In this field, on this day, he found something so good, so incredibly good, that it led him to sell everything he had. Now, I wonder whether you really considered what that must have meant. Selling everything he had. Not just some of it, everything. The accountants among us might say he liquidated all his assets. But it's more than that. The human cost of what he did in the wake of what he had discovered is astonishing. If you knew that man, if you'd watched him, I'm pretty sure the scale of what he was doing would have seemed inexplicable and perhaps a little disturbing. Had he gone mad? I mean, who does that? All of a sudden, out of the blue, selling it all, getting rid of it all as quickly as he could? The everyday items and those which carried precious memories, the ordinary and the special, the things he had had for a long time, and the things he'd only acquired the other day, everything. What could possibly induce that man to let go of everything 
he had. Well, Jesus' parable tells us why. He did it from his joy. He wasn't compelled. It wasn't a legal obligation. He wasn't being forced to sell it all. His debts weren't being called in or anything like that. There'd been no personal catastrophe which had necessitated this. No, from his joy, he went and sold everything he had and bought that field. He'd discovered something so wonderful, so mind-bogglingly glorious, something that's value far outstripped anything he'd seen, everything he'd seen. Totally inexplicable behaviour until you see what he found. Sometimes you only really know how much you value something by how much you're willing to give up or give away for it. And the point Jesus makes in this parable is that the kingdom of heaven is like that. The kingdom of heaven is like that treasure. Something so gloriously valuable that once you've understood it, you can't stay the same. The kingdom of heaven radically resets a person's priorities and allegiances and everything else. It's so good, so valuable, so precious that everything else seems small and insignificant and worthless. The man couldn't help himself. He couldn't just stay still. He had to have that treasure. What he did just doesn't make sense until you see what he has found. A treasure so valuable it dwarfs everything else. But what is it that makes the kingdom of heaven so valuable? We'll park that question for a moment and let's move on to the next parable, the seeking merchant, in verses 45 and 46. At first glance, the second parable looks just like just a variation on the first, the same point being reinforced with a second parallel example. Like the first, something valuable induces a person to sell everything they have in order to acquire it. It's something of incredible value. The treasure in the field in the first parable, a spotless, flawless, extremely valuable pearl in the second. It's something worth divesting yourself of everything else, everything else, because what you've discovered is so wonderful. It's the same radical behaviour in both parables, inexplicable, unless you realise what they've found. But friends, there are some important differences between the two parallels, which, the parables which um, stretch our understanding further. In the first parable, the man finds a treasure hidden in the field. He, no planning, no searching, he just finds this. It, it catches him by surprise, in a sense. In the second parable, the man, the merchant or businessman, has long been searching for fine pearls. Perhaps he was hoping that one day he would come across the specimen that would make all the effort worthwhile. He'd, he'd rolled many pearls in his hand before this one. He knew what he was looking for. Unlike the overwhelming joy of unexpected discovery, here was the settled recognition that at last he had found what he was looking for. On the one hand, finding. On the other hand, seeking, searching. The second difference is that 
while in the first parable, the kingdom of heaven is likened to the treasure, in the second, the kingdom of heaven is likened to the man who has been searching, not the pearl he finds at last. And that's a significant difference, isn't it? What are we to make of that? Jesus has already pointed to the value of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, what God has brought to us in Jesus dwarfs everything else, everything else put together in its value. But here he adds something else. The focus has been tightened a little. Not so much on what is found, but on the man who is searching for what he has now found. The searching man is like the kingdom of heaven. How is that? The kingdom of heaven is the answer to this man's restlessness. He is searching. He knows that all he has found to this point is not it. Not the thing he's been looking for. I can't help but think of my favourite quote from Augustine's Confessions. Those of you in first year heard it just yesterday. You have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Now, I know it's important not to overread this parable and Jesus doesn't explain it to his disciples, but this little shift of emphasis is not accidental. For this discovery has been worth searching for. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for fine pearls. In both cases, the find is worth it. Worth divesting yourself of everything else in order to have it, to be part of it. There's a kind of all or nothing feel to the response of both these men in this parable, in these parables. The kingdom of heaven is too good to let our attachment to anything else get in the way. The totally outrageous behaviour of the man who stumbled across what he and others had not seen and the man who'd been searching and searching for something both explained by the value of what they have found. Notice that uh, in neither case is there any sense of sacrifice or loss. The value of what's being found is, is so much more than anything they've given up. And as the first parable made clear, it was from his joy that the man went and sold everything he had. The reorientation, the radical realignment that comes when you encounter the kingdom of heaven is not forced or coerced, not a must that you're obliged to accept against your will. It arises from the utter goodness, the incomprehensible value of what we are given. The words of Jim Elliot, the missionary, are as relevant here as anywhere, aren't they? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. She is no fool who gives what she cannot keep to gain what she cannot lose. But just what is it that makes the kingdom so valuable? Well, I've been helped in thinking about that question by taking a closer look at the immediate context of these two parables. As a friend of mine pointed out to me, these two unexplained parables of Jesus sit between two parables where Jesus does give an explanation. The parable of the wheat and the weeds 
and its explanation in verses 40 to 43, and the parable of the dragnet and its explanation in verses 47 and 50. What's more, the same words are used in the explanation of both those parables. They will throw them into the furnace of fire, and there will be weeping and grinding of teeth. Now, might that help us to see why the treasure brings such joy and why this pearl is worth all the searching of the merchant over those years? So, on to three, the dragnet, verses 47 to 50. This would undoubtedly be the most familiar of the three images. Around the Lake of Galilee, this scene would have been played out day after day. Boats dropping huge nets with weights on them into the lake, dragging those nets to the shore with everything that they've enclosed and then sorting out the edible from the inedible once they got there. A dragnet collected all kinds of fish and other sea creatures and not all were edible, so not all were saleable. That's why the good are gathered into containers and the rotten or the useless were thrown away. And as I said, Jesus explains this parable to his disciples. It is a picture of the judgment to come at the conclusion of the age. The great eschatological judgment of God. Just as there was a separation on the shores of the lake in Jesus' story, there will be a serious separation on that day effected by God's angels or messengers, a separation of the wicked from in the midst of the righteous. In the parable of the weeds, all causes of sin and all the lawless are to be separated out of his kingdom. In this parable, the wicked are to be separated out of the midst of the righteous. And the emphasis in Jesus' explanation this time is not on the destination of the righteous, Remember, in the other parable, he finished with the righteous will shine as the sun in the kingdom of their father. But this time, it's simply on the destination of the wicked. Jesus is saying there will be a separation and the wicked will be taken from the midst of the righteous. It is a judgment that is awful and magnificent, terrible and wonderful at the same time. Wonderful and magnificent, for that separation will bring to an end wickedness and tyranny and oppression and injustice. It will bring to an end the heavy rule of the mighty and the powerful. It will bring down the curtain on hypocrisy and compromise and betrayal. And this judgment will be entirely just and utterly fitting Terrifying to those who contemplate it, but entirely just and utterly fitting. For you see, the suffering and cruelty and all the rest will not go unanswered. It will not simply be ignored. There will be a day of reckoning. Evil in the world will not go on forever, nor all the pain it brings. He has fixed a day. It was uh, the Croatian theologian Miroslav Volf who wrote that only in the quiet of a suburban home could the thought take root that we do not need judgment, that God will not judge, and that's a good thing. In a scorched land soaked in the blood of the innocent, he wrote, such an illusion will invariably die. The oppressed cry out for justice. 
the victims long for final judgment. The reality of a day when all who did these things and said these things and profited from these things will be held accountable, that's the really good thing. The wicked will be separated out, removed from the midst of the righteous. For what was done to you matters. And what you've been through matters. The way you've been treated, what was taken from you, what they said about you, how they used you, it all matters and it won't go on forever. It will not go unchecked forever. There is a day of reckoning. The focus in this parable of Jesus is very much on that judgment of the wicked and it is brilliant news for those who suffer at their hands. In the kingdom of heaven, justice is fully and properly done. Awful and magnificent. Terrible and wonderful. But the even better news is that the righteous, those God has claimed for himself, will not be overwhelmed on that day. They won't be caught up in it. There is forgiveness and life for those God declares to be his, those who come to Christ and enter his kingdom. The weeds will be taken out of his kingdom, but the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. The wicked will be taken out of the midst of the righteous, and so only the righteous will remain. The glorious, life-changing, radically reorienting news is that on the day when evil is finally judged, there is forgiveness for those who belong to Jesus. On that day, on that day that cannot be avoided, that day which will surely come, those who have taken refuge in Jesus will be safe. If you know that there will be and actually long for that day when all things are set right, and if you're honest about yourself and how really you are part of the problem, because the evil's not just out there, it's in here too, then this is the best imaginable news. Like the Thessalonians of the first century, we wait for Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. To know right now that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. To know that we are shielded by his blood from the avenging angel. To have the guarantee of forgiveness and life on the day when every idle word will be held to account. Well, that puts everything else in perspective. This forgiveness, this life freed at last from every kind of evil, the monstrous and the mundane, well, it's worth everything else in the world. The one who has that assurance knows real peace and real joy. And there is no sacrifice or hardship or loss in surrendering everything in the light of what we found. Well, when Jesus finished telling his disciples uh, these parables, he asked them, do you understand all these things? They didn't miss a beat. Oh, of course we do, yes. Then pay attention. If you've understood these things, if you've been schooled in the kingdom of heaven, if your life has been trained by the kingdom of heaven, if you are a scholar who has been discipled in the kingdom of heaven, 
then you have something to share. Such a person, the scholar who has learned the kingdom, is like a householder who draws out of his storeroom things both new and old. The new treasure of what God has done in Christ secured salvation for those who are his amid a judgment that deals rightly with everything that's wrong in the world. And the old treasure of God's eternal purpose, his intention from the beginning, the promises he has now kept in Jesus, the day to come when he will do what is absolutely right and all will be set in its proper place. Judgment deserved since the garden, forgiveness secured by the cross. So friends, as you hear these parables this morning, familiar at first reading, challenging when you look a little closer, aren't they? When you hear these parables, what do you hear? The note of joy and almost reckless behaviour which flows out of that joy, it's not reckless at all, really, is it? We have a better story to tell than that told by anyone around us. Or the goodness of the judgment to come, an end to all that has stained the world, the cruelty, the injustice, the brutality, the betrayal, the brokenness, it won't go on forever. It will be held to account. Or the even better news that, and than an end to evil, that, that salvation comes in the midst of judgment, that you will be safe on that day. The righteous will remain when the wicked are separated out from their midst. Or in those words of that earlier parable, the righteous will shine as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Or perhaps the wonderful resources of those schooled in the kingdom. A message of hope, a message of deliverance, a message of forgiveness. The new and the old. What God has done in these last days and what he promised as far back as the Garden of Eden. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Will you pray with me? We want to thank you, Father, that you have taught us the kingdom. You have taught us of the good things that you have done, of the justice that is coming and of the deliverance in the midst of it. And we thank you for these parables of Jesus that remind us of that. And we pray that you might help us to share that message of deliverance and forgiveness and joy and hope with the same joy of those who found the treasure in the field and the pearl of unspeakable value. For this we ask of you in Jesus' name. Amen.